series called Learning to Let Go. This is kind of a, an Ascension and Pentecost series together. Um, we've been following along in uh, what's been called the Pascal Mystery. And the Pascal Mystery looks, uh, goes through the, like the moments of, of Jesus' um, death and resurrection and his 40 days here with us on earth before he ascended. And then he ascended, and there were some things that even in his 40 days, he said, you have to let go of, um, letting go so that you can receive the Spirit. And so we've been kind of in this series where what are the things, the question that we've been sitting in is what are the things that we have to let go of in order to receive the new? Um, the, the Spirit of God, the fullness of God, um, what are the things that we have to let go of? That's kind of what we've been sitting in for a while. And so today, I want to teach on a topic that comes up quite a lot in my pastoral counseling, a lot in my relationships with other people, and it's this idea of God's guidance, or more specifically, God's will. Maybe that's how some people might frame it. How do I find God's will? And oftentimes, when I ask questions, the real question underneath the God's will question is, how do I make the perfect decision? How do I make the perfect decision. This is what we wrestle with. So today I wanna to talk about letting go of making the perfect decision. I would imagine that, that, that like resonates with some people in here. How do you let go of making the perfect decisions? Okay, but this morning I'm gonna do a dad thing, a very dad thing, being a dad myself. I'm gonna tell you what I've told you. That's a dad thing, by the way. Um, I taught this teaching at Reality Ventura a couple of weeks ago, and I. And I also taught this teaching about eight years ago in our community, and as I was teaching it to Ventura, I was like, our congregation needs to hear this one too, again. So um, I'm gonna tell you what I told you like eight years ago. Now some of you, you're like, I wasn't born yet eight years ago. Like, that was not, or you weren't even a part of this church or whatever, um, then this is nude for you. For, for those of you that were here, you won't remember this anyway. So this is for you again. So here's what I like to do. I'd like to share with you um, how I got to San Francisco, how my wife and I got to this city to plant this church. Um, I want to share with you how to be a bad parent, because it's Father's Day, and I want to share with you how to be a bad parent. And then I want to share with you, um, I want to talk about what tree in the Garden of Eden was the best tree to eat from. So we'll do that today. Uh, but let me read a couple of scriptures to you, um, with you. Proverbs 3 and then Matthew 6. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Uh, and Matthew 6, 25 through 34. This Proverbs passage um, is special to me because it's the passage that the first Bible verse um, my mom memorized and the one she quoted when she got baptized. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field, how they grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word. Let me pray one more time. Lord, I pray that the, 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 that the teachings and the way of Jesus would soak deep into our bones and that we would become the kind of people who seek first the kingdom. And even though that's a very hard thing to do and might even be a hard understand, concept to understand um, for people who don't necessarily live in a kingdom, um, but I pray that there'd be things that your spirit would teach us today through all of this. So I submit everything to you all of my capacities and ask that you would teach us now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, so I was, um, I was led to start a church in San Francisco through my love for shoes. My love for shoes. It was 2008, and my wife Ashley and I were living in Carpinteria, just um, the town north of Santa Barbara. And we were the next in line to start a church. We had moved there from Bakersfield where Ash and I met and were born and raised. We moved to Carpinteria to plant a church because we knew that, that God was leading was we felt that God was leading us to plant a church. Now, typically when reality church planters sh- were, like shown up, showed up at reality Carpinteria to plant a church, they knew where they were going. Like um, Tim Chaddock knew he was going to LA and then he moved to Carpinteria to plant LA and then uh, Josh Kaler knew he was going to Stockton, so he moved to Carpinteria to plant Reality Stockton. And then I was a third church plant, and we moved there without any idea of where we were going to go. And so every single day I would pray. I mean, my prayer life was saturated in just asking God, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Tell me, please tell me, please tell me, all this stuff. And I was just so obsessed. And then one day it happened. A bit of prophecy, a bit of a vision, something broke through. Um, it was during a night of worship. We were doing this ministry-type conference in, in, uh, in Reality Carpinteria, and um, at worship, uh, I heard God just really say to me, go to the back and get on your knees. And so I went to the back, and if, typically if you're part of reality, we know you, come, you typically come forward and, and kneel, and I felt God say, go to the back and kneel, so I went to the back, and I was kneeling. And then I heard this voice say, what shoes are you wearing? And I was like, that's a really weird question. First of all, if it was from God, he would know what shoes I was wearing, because he's God. And um, why are you so concerned with my shoes? Like, what's going on here? And I was thinking, and then I remembered, I heard that voice again, by the way, what shoes are you wearing? And I was like, what? And I remembered that the shoes that I had put on that day, I had bought in San Francisco years before. And I remember, I'm like, oh yeah, I bought these shoes, these shoes, oh yeah, I bought these shoes in San Francisco. And then immediately, I was like, I was like given a vision of the city, and then I heard this voice say, take your feet, prepared with the good news to that city and proclaim the gospel. That clear, from my shoes. (laughs) And all of my shoe obsession ever since have been justified (laughs) by God. I tell this to Ashley all the time, like God has blessed, this is how we got here, Ash, so we have to keep this going. You never know if God's gonna speak again through my shoes, so I'm. Now, this is how I want to live. To be honest, this is how I want to live. I want to shop and then have God speak major decisions in my life through that. Like, that's, 
not that, but I, I want like God to like show up in every single decision I make in my life and just tell me what to do next. Life would be so much easier if the God of the universe just led us all like this. We would wake up in the morning and we would know what to buy or what not to buy if like God shocked us through our credit cards or something like that. We just like went to go buy it. And, or have you ever done that? Like your card won't go through online shopping. You're like, is this God? Is it not? Let me try it one more time to see if it was God. And then it goes through like, wasn't God. Obviously it wasn't God. Um, like if that happened every single time, like it didn't, the card didn't go through, like something happened, your internet crashed, like that's God, that's, that's God. Like, or if you knew the day that, that you were gonna meet the person you were gonna marry, like God just said, striped shirt, you know, beret or whatever. You're like, well, this is really weird. This is like the way that God led us. Now, there are stories out there like that, and I have one, right? And we know people in the, the church that pray for stuff like this all the time. And it's, the thing is, it sounds really, really holy. It sounds super holy. Like, I just want what God wants. I want God to tell me what to do. Now, there is, and what I want to teach on today is there is this dark underbelly to this kind of logic. And this is, this is kind of what I want to get to today. Now, before I teach the dark underbelly of this logic, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that to live in such union with God that you hear God's voice on the regular is beautiful and the goal of life. That is it. To live in such union with God that you're hearing his voice every single day. That is the hope. But there is a dark underbelly to this way of thinking that God tells you every decision to make in life. And here's a dark underbelly. Next slide. That you become a person who has not developed godly character, wisdom, or a sanctified imagination. That you become a kind of person that doesn't know how to make decisions based on godly wisdom. That you have not developed character or even a sanctified imagination. Now, I understand this might be a paradigm shift for some of you, because if you've been a part of our church for, for any length of time, you know that we have this deep tradition in our church of hearing God's voice, and specifically his prophetic voice. We deeply value this as a congregation, as a community. And we pray for decisions that we're going to make, and this is all right and good. I remember praying and fasting and praying about the decision to move into this building. And by praying, we hope that God will lead us and guide us. But as we seek to attain wisdom and maturity, there might be more to it than just God tell us what to do. We pray and we ask God to lead us, but we can, by asking God for a sign, an open door, a holy flip. Anyone ever done the holy flip where you just are like, God, your word, boom, open it up. Lamentations. <laughs> Ever, ever done that? This is God's word today. This is it. Like, there is something about going to the holy flip. You could be circumventing something very valuable in your life with God, and that is character development. Here's a picture of my three-year-old daughter, Juniper. We were, on, we were in Disneyland on that ride, Autopia. Autotopia, how do you say that word? Uh, anyone remember? Whatever. No one knows. <laughs> And we're right, and you're not supposed to ride this, and you're not supposed to be the driver until you're a lot older. But I was like, let's just give this thing a shot and see how it goes. She's on a rail, and uh, it was it was kind of fun and crazy. And I got this like little glimpse of what she's gonna be like when she's 16 driving, and everyone should be afraid. Everyone should be afraid. <laughs> now I love parenting Juniper with my wife Ashley, and she's at that age where she's three, 
uh, and a half, she's at that age where I could actually make every decision for her. I can, and sometimes do, tell her when to pee. Like, Junior, you have to pee. No, I don't. Yes, you do. I know you do. Go pee right now. I don't have to pee. Anyone, any parent, like, yes. Then you make them go pee, and then they pee forever. Like, see, I told you, you had to pee. I'll feed her bites of food sometimes so she can move on, so we can move on with the rest of our day because she takes forever to eat sometimes, like her mom. I'll help dress her. I'll help wipe her. I can make every single decision for her, and I'm a little bit wiser and more knowledgeable than her, and I'll make some pretty good decisions for her. But if I did that, for the rest of her threes and fours and fives, if I did that for the rest of her life and never let her or taught her how to make her own decisions, never give her the character to be the kind of person who makes smart and wise decisions, you would call me a very bad parent. And you would be right. See, there are stories of people who want God to make every decision for them. Some might phrase it as being spirit-led, like on what shirt to wear that day or what to buy or what like thing, like what vacuum to buy or whatever, and it sounds super, super holy, but what if God is a good, good father wanting us to mature into the kind of people who make wise decisions? What if God's hope for us, his children, was to become the kind of people who knew how to rule and reign on this earth as his image bearers, making decisions that add to human flourishing, that care for the planet he gave us to steward, and to, through our actions and decisions, show what God is like in this world? Now, this isn't apart from God. This is in union with God, in relationship with God, knowing God's character, yet making wise decisions as free-willed creatures. Now, I'd like to posit something to you. When we say things like, God, just tell me what to do, or just give me a sign, or show me the way, what we might really be saying is, you don't want to put in the hard work of knowing God's character and growing in your own character to make good decisions yourself. You want someone else to choose for you. And let's just be honest, it would be so much easier to flip a coin to know God's will or to get a word from God than to develop the character needed to make wise decisions. The thing is, and the problem is, there is no character or maturity required to flip a coin at all. See, in the New Testament, we're never actually told to seek God's will. Rather, we're told to seek God's kingdom and do God's will. And thus, we think the challenge to God's will is to find it or to know it rather than to choose it. Now, don't mishear me, God does have a will. <clears throat> he does have a will. I'm not saying that God doesn't have a will. God does have a will. And sometimes we don't know what his will is. Look at James chapter, chapter four, verse uh, 13. <clears throat> James says, now listen to you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it, it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So what James is saying is that God has a will, and because we don't know what God's will might be, we are not to be presumptuous about tomorrow, but actually say and confess in our hearts when we plan, if the Lord wills. Now, God does have a will, and it seems that God's will is mysterious, mysterious. 
Most times we don't know God's will. Theologians call this the hidden will of God. The idea is conveyed in what Paul says to the Ephesians church in Acts 18.21 when he says, but as Paul left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set self from Ephesus. God has a plan. God has a will that concerns the future, but we just don't know what it is. God has a will that he's working into history towards some mysterious, to some end in some mysterious way. We just don't know and we cannot be presumptuous about what that is. So conclusion, God does have a will. God has a plan for the future, how this whole thing works out. But here's the question, and this is what we wrestle through the most. The question is, how do we find God's will? How can we know God's will? If it is that God does have a will, how do we know it? And this is how we typically think about God's will. Next slide. <clears throat> we think of, typically think about God's will like this. That little dot in the center is God's will. And that's blessing. And this is what we're aiming at every single time we make a decision. We're like, I want to make the right decision because I want the blessing. I want the blessing. And if I barely miss it, God's going to be disappointed with me. Or I'll be disappointed with myself because I made the wrong decision. And if I really, really make the wrong decision, he's, God's going to be mad at me or I'm going to be mad at myself. Like, this is kind of how we think about God's will. It's that tiny dot in the center and I have to hit it. And if I don't hit it, then I'm on plan B or plan C or plan D. And thus, we're plagued with doubt. Did I hit God's bullseye? Did I get God's blessing? Did I make the wrong decision? Did I miss God's best for me? Did I make a decision like eight years ago where I missed the person God had wanted me to marry and now I'm on plan B, which is single and lonely for the rest of my life? Or plan B, I married this other person, but I should have married that one person? Did I make the wrong career decision because I don't feel happy in my job? Or how, how might I feel happy in my job, in my family, when I might have missed God's will in the past. And so we treat every decision like this. Here's a decision, and there's three decisions, and we make that decision, and then it breaks off, and then we have three more decisions. And we're like, we're making all these little decisions, and they go on kind of forever. And every decision we make there's a, takes you on a path that leads you to a different decision and another possibility, another goal in life, and another responsibility. And we think the, the goal in life is to discover God's will and God's blessing. By the way, this is the multiverse, right? Right? Anyone else, anyone else thinking that? You're like, this is, this is the multiverse. Right? This is how we think. This, this genre of movie, all it does is reaffirm our suspicion that there could have been another and a better life for me some other place. Like that movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, or whatever. Have you seen that movie? It's such a good movie. It's like that. Like, I could be, I was probably a, a movie star in a different life. I made some decision where I ended up as a coder in San Francisco. I'm just saying... That was my destiny. I don't know how I got here. And this is how we treat every single decision. We're like, this decision led to this decision, and that decision led to who I'm going to marry. And anyone else getting a little bit like anxious right now, even as I'm talking about this? <laughs> this is how we, we think about life. And so, next slide. We think we're here. Next slide. But we should be there. And we're like, dang it. We're, I was so close to God's will. I was so close. I had every decision right till that last decision, and I just missed it. And this is how we think. And this is the wrong picture. The reason why this is the wrong picture is because it keeps you focused on the wrong thing. Jerry Sitzer wrote a wonderful book on God's will, and I actually got to, to, to spend a week with him um, a few weeks ago. And 
He tells a personal story of him trying to decide on a profession when he was younger. It was either gonna be ministry or medicine. And he wanted to find God's will for his life. Was it the ministry or was it a career in medicine? This is a big decision. One that will decide the rest of his life. This process made him rethink the idea of finding God's will for his life. And then in his book, he writes this, quote, we think long and hard when we choose a college, a job, a career, or a spouse. And this makes good sense, considering how consequential these choices are. But we give little thought to how much TV we watch or how often we talk on the phone or how seldom we praise our children. Obviously, this was written years ago. We would say stream and scroll, whatever. But you get the point. Yet the little choices we make every day often have a cumulative effect far exceeding the significance of the big choices we occasionally have to make. We do not need to fret when we have to make big decisions about the future, worrying about the terrifying possibility that we might miss God's will for our lives. We simply need to do what we already know in the present. God has been clear where clarity is most needed. The choices we make every day to love a spouse after an argument, to treat an unkind coworker with respect, to serve food at a soup kitchen, determine whether or not we are doing the will of God. If we have a problem, it is not a lack of knowledge. Rather, it is our unwillingness to respond to the knowledge that we have. What he is saying is that often many of us focus on the unknown. We focus on the future. And when we do that, we lose focus on the knowns, on the things that we do know. We would much rather fret over, is this job or that job, the unknown, and what are the pathways, instead of focusing on what we know today. The things we know today are called the revealed will of God. This is what theologians call it, the revealed will of God. What, God, what we know about what God tells us to do today. See, when I said the scriptures told us not to find the will of God, but to do the will of God, it assumes that God has told us his will, and he has. I want you to think of it like this. What if the reason the Bible is so silent about God's will for tomorrow and so clear on God's will for today is because the way we do God's will today has a way of shaping our tomorrow? In the words of wisdom and maturity or the wisdom literature, we become the kind of people who make good decisions. This is what God is after. God is after that we do his will so much in the present that we become the kind of people when faced with a major decision, we know the right way to do it or we know to trust. We know to trust and that there is no perfect decision, but I'm following the will of God today. Now, the New Testament doesn't give us a formula for divining God's future, nor does it teach us how to find his future out. What the scriptures do instead, when it teaches about the future, it says stuff like, do not worry, do not be presumptuous, and do not be anxious. And then it tells us what to do today. This is what Jesus said. Here's what you do today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry. This is what it talks about when you don't know the future. You don't know the future. You don't, know, you don't even know if tomorrow will happen. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Do you see what, how Jesus reframes it? Well, what do I do about my future? We don't know even if you'll get to your future. Here's what we do know. Don't worry about that. Today, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, the future, like am I in the will of God or not, all these things will be added, will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow. I wish Jesus didn't say this last part because it he was on a roll and then he said this thing. That just makes everyone worried. 
Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. You don't even have any idea about the trouble tomorrow. You have enough trouble today. That does not instill hope in me as a person. I'm just like, as an anxious person, I'm like, wait, what? What about today and tomorrow? What, what's about tomorrow? It's going to be trouble tomorrow? What's happening? Now, God's will for you is to seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness, not your future. Seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness, not divining your future, not trying to figure out what is the perfect decision. Now, if you're new to church, you might be thinking, what is God's kingdom? That's a, that's a very foreign, very insider word. What does that mean? God's kingdom is, is simply God establishing his divine reign of love here on earth through the way of Jesus. This is kingdom and righteousness. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. It's the, 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 God, the divine reign of love on earth through the way of Jesus, which is righteousness, through the way of Jesus. The divine reign of God's love is established on this earth. This is God's kingdom. Now, God's will is that you would not seek your future, but you would be in the present, saturated with the kingdom of God and his reign of love coming into the city, into your career, into your heart, into your home. God's will cannot be separated from God's kingdom. Seek his kingdom, and you will be in his will more times than not. Now, God does have a will for our lives that we seek first his kingdom, that we would grow in Christ-like character. And as we do these things, God allows us to follow many possible pathways to live that will of God out. So the graphic that we showed earlier looks more like this. If you rule out the stupid and rule out the sinful, just choose a path. You, that, you choose a path and that will be God's will for you. Now, you're, well, how do I rule out the stupid? Well, this is wisdom, right? Wisdom rules out the stupid. Let me say, there, are very, there is a lot of stupid things you could do in your decision making. A lot of stupid things. You can make a stupid decision when choosing a job or making a move. This is why we go to scripture. This is why we get godly counsel. This is why you ask yourself if it fits in your gifts and your desires. This is why seeing a mentor, seeing a coach, this is why this stuff is important because there are stupid decisions you can make. I'm not saying Dave said I can make any decision I wanted to and I want to do this. That's, that's stupid. Just rule the stupid out. It's not that hard. Rule it out. Rule out the sinful. Does it contradict God's word? Like I, I think I'm going to do this thing with my business, but it's a little sinful. What do, you, what do we think? Yeah, don't do that. That's, that's sinful. Just take that out. Don't, don't be overdramatic. Pull that out. Make a different decision, okay? Roll out the sinful, roll out the stupid, and then choose. That will be God's perfect will. You're like, wait, perfect will? I want, but I want, his, but I want the, 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 the one perfect one. The one perfect will. I know I have all these decisions, but that's just like causing me a bunch of anxiety. I want the one thing that God wants me to do. Now, I want you to think of it like this. Think of the Garden of Eden, okay? The Garden of Eden, God's saying to Adam and Eve, you can eat any tree in the garden except one. There's one tree that you can't eat from. Now, what if Adam and Eve came to God and they're making like their vegan dinner or whatever, and they ask God, God, tonight, so we're celebrating tonight, special night, one week in the garden. We don't know how long we'll be here. We don't know. But one week we're celebrating. We're going to have a special dinner. We want to make the perfect meal. What's the perfect tree to eat from? And God said, just not that one. 
but that we want the perfect one. They're all perfect. Just eat, choose one. What, what, do you, what do you desire? What do you want? Choose one. Not this one. That's sinful and stupid. But choose any of these. Now, if you know the story, they're like, but what about that one, though? <laughs> Which is a whole different sermon. I don't really have time to get into that today. But all of these, next slide, all these are blessable places. All of them. They're all blessable places. You're like, I'm gonna, I, I get, if, if I made the decision to choose uh, to pastor in a different, different city than San Francisco, it would have been a blessable place. God would have blessed it. There's no doubt in my mind. If I would have chose to marry someone different, God would have blessed it. God, I made the decisions with God, with God's guidance, for sure, with counsel, with wisdom, the way that I submitted to God. I made a decision to choose Ashley as my wife and choose this place, choose a pastor as my job. Some of it felt like calling. Some of it was just me making a decision. Now, do I regret the decisions? There's times where in my flesh I'll like vacillate going, did I make the right decision? Did I make the right decision? Like, oh my, this is, why is this so hard? Why, if I made the good, blessable decision, why is this so hard? So I wanna talk a little bit about suffering. Because when I say blessable places, you might be thinking good, easy, amazing. Like if I choose the blessable places, it's gonna be amazing. And to be honest, Every decision we make has a little bit of sin in it, it has a little bit of stupidity in it. If I was to be, if that, that, that graphic wasn't like as black and white, we're humans, we have mixed motives sometimes, right? So every single thing, repentance is a way of life. There's ways that we're repenting as we're making decisions the whole time. There's ways that we're asking God to search our heart. But let's say, let's say you made a decision, whether it's a job, a marriage, a relationship, and you're suffering right now. And it's not good, it's not easy, it's not amazing. And you're like, I chose the wrong person, I chose the wrong career path, I chose the wrong city to live in, I chose the wrong relationships. I, I made a mistake. Now, first I wanna say, if it was a, a mistake done in sin, the way you get back into God's will is called repentance. And Dan Kimball came and taught on it a few weeks ago. It is a beautiful word, it simply means to turn to turn from your ways, sometimes that's confession, and then whatever sin that, you, that you're in, you turn from it and turn away from it, and you're immediately back into the will of God. It's not, it's not as, um, it's a difficult choice to make, but it's not as hard as we sometimes make it. If you've made a foolish decision, sometimes it's acknowledging the foolish decision, acknowledging the stupidity of your decision, turning to God again and asking for wisdom. But let's say you're in, you're in this decision that you've made and it's not easy for you. You might be in a place today where you are starting to resent God or resent your friends because your life isn't the way you thought it would be and you think that you missed God's will for your life. Now sometimes a diagnostic check is needed. Sometimes when I feel this way, I'll meet with a mentor and this mentor of mine will do a diagnostic check going, is there any blatant sin in your life? How's your diet and your exercise? How's your time with friends? How's your time with God? And there's this diagnostic check you can go through. And if something seems off, then like, okay, let's start there first. 
But let's say you've gone through all of this diagnostic check and you're like, yeah, all this stuff is kind of happening. I'm still under tremendous suffering. So here's the thing about suffering. There's a paradox of suffering. Suffering doesn't follow any forms of rationality or clear pattern of predictability. And the reason for this is because God's will is often hidden because we don't know, we don't know it, we often learn God's will and God's plan through tremendous suffering. Even Jesus, it says, learns obedience through suffering. So think about this Old Testament character. His name was Joseph. Anyone ever heard of Joseph? And so Joseph, um, uh, we see the whole picture, but Joseph didn't see the whole picture. Joseph was favored by God and then got this really like dope article of clothing from God. And he wore it around kind of proud. He had a few dreams. He was naive enough to tell his brothers his dreams, and his dreams were, I'm going to be great, and you guys are going to serve me, and it's going to be awesome. And he was a little naive, and, and his brothers were jealous of him, and they, they, they sold him into slavery. And when they sold him into slavery, they told his dad that he had died, but they, in truth, he sold him into slavery. And he grew up, um, or he became a slave in a, in a, a man named Potiphar in his house. And his wife, Potiphar's wife, tries to to sleep with him, and she, and he doesn't. He says, I can't sin against God and sleep with you. That, that would be adultery. That's wrong. So the, the story of Joseph's life is like this. Every single time, and oh, she lies and gets him thrown into prison again, and he's in prison. And the whole time, Joseph is doing God's revealed will. Every single time. The thing that, God, that he knows to do, he does it next. And he's choosing God's revealed will. And every single time he's choosing God's revealed will, he goes into deeper suffering, deeper prison. Eventually, when he's in Potiphar's house, he's still serving God. He's still obedient to God's laws. He has this opportunity to have an affair with this very beautiful woman who's in this house with a man who's kind of absent. He's like, no, I, 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 I was, I've been in here against my will and punished, but I still won't sin against God that way. There's no way in the world to do that. And he keeps doing God's revealed will. And then you think that he would get rewarded, but he doesn't and goes in a deeper prison. He keeps suffering and suffering and suffering. And finally, um, when Joseph is in prison, uh, this cupbearer who's in prison, uh, the cupbearer to Pharaoh who's in prison with him has a dream. And he tells the cupbearer, this dream means that you're gonna be restored to your post. And then when you get restored to your post, like within a week's time, um, remember me, remember that I interpret dreams and get me out of here because I'm not, I'm not here. I, I didn't do anything to get here, be here. And you know my character enough. You've been in prison with me. You know, get me out of here. And so the cupbearer goes, I will remember you. Well, um, years go by and he doesn't remember. And Pharaoh has this dream. But before we get to that, let's stop. Let's say right there, let's say that's, the story ended right there. Let's say Joseph's in prison. The cupbearer gets out of prison and remembers Joseph, and then Joseph gets out of prison right then. Question is this. Who would he have helped if he got out of prison right then? The answer is no one. He would have helped himself, that's it. He would have been helped, but no one else. Pharaoh wouldn't have been helped. Egypt wouldn't have been helped. His brothers wouldn't have been helped. The whole Jewish people wouldn't have been helped. No one would have been helped. He stays in prison for two more years. If Joseph took that path, it would have worked out with only one person in mind, and that was Joseph. But he's in there for another two full years. And finally, Pharaoh has another dream, and the cupbearer goes, 
I, I was supposed to tell you something two years ago, and I just remembered, which I completely am this cupbearer, by the way. I was like, Ashley, I was, gonna t- I was supposed to tell you that like a couple years ago, and I totally forgot. He's like, I met a guy in prison two years ago, and he interprets dreams. Get him. And so the story goes, he gets him, and because Joseph is, is saved at that moment with so much suffering by doing God's revealed will, not only does Joseph come out and help Pharaoh with his dream and get to proclaim God to Pharaoh, but he saves Egypt, he saves his family, he gets to restore to his brothers, and he brings his entire clan back into Egypt where they flourish, and eventually sets up the Exodus. Now, the point is, God knows how to work his hidden will through Joseph's suffering. He knows how to work his hidden will that no one really understands, but Joseph keeps doing the, the, the next right thing, the next w- revealed will of God in front of him. What was meant for evil, because everything done to Joseph was evil, and that doesn't take, put any blame on God or take anything away from the evil that happened. God knew how to use evil for good. What he says to his brothers is, what you meant for evil, God used for good. God knows how to work inside of the evil of our world to bring about good. Now, I don't know what God is up to in your life, but I do know that overall, God is working a redemption narrative, even if you don't see it, and the encouragement to you is stay in the story. Stay in the story. Joseph had to stay in his own story. He could have chose to leave it, like, I'm not, I'm out of this story, I'm out. I, I can't be obedient to God anymore, I'm not gonna be obedient to these masters anymore, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this, I am completely out on this whole story but he chose to over and over again to stay in the story and hang on and redemption was brought. So yeah, you will not make the perfect decision and I wanna free you from that. You will make decisions that might be some stupid, some sinful, a mixture of, of both. You might make some decisions that are just completely blessable and that might lead you to tremendous suffering and that's where you're at right now but stay in the story. I wanna encourage you to stay in the story and to hang on. So that's what I wanna remind you of as a dad, as a spiritual father in this community, to remind you to stay in the story. Would you stand with me as we pray? I'm gonna invite David to come up and lead us into a time of responding to this. I'm over time, I'm sorry, but let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that there be some freedom in here of like um, making the the perfect decision. I pray guilt off of people that feel like um, I made a decision and I'm suffering the consequences of that decision and I want to remake my decision and not make the decision I made. Would you free us from that sort of multiverse like there is a better life there in some other dimension that I missed. Free us from that, God. And help us to be fully present today in the decisions that we've made Work in us your mysterious will of redemption and make us mature people who know how to make the revealed will of God sort of decisions in the moment. In Jesus' name.